there is delayed justice in our land and not just in our land there is delayed justice in the whole world the most glaring example of delayed justice in our country came in a verdict and the verdict was called upar cinema verdict it happened after 18 years in the supreme court on the 13th of june 1997 59 persons lost their lives and 100 persons were badly injured when a movie theater it was screening a movie and all of a sudden it caught fire and the case went through many trials it finally winded up its way in uh, in the supreme court and after 18 years supreme court pronounced a judgment now people were expecting a favorable judgment for these people 59 people who died and the 100 people who were injured but the most shocking thing about this judgment was the perpetrators the ansal brothers gopal ansal and sushil ansal didn't have to serve any jail sentence all they had to do was pay a sum of 60 crores to the delhi government and they were let go they were they were let go scot free so it took 18 years of waiting only to find out that people who are responsible for it went scot free where is the justice for the 59 people who were killed and the 100 people who were injured let me talk about one more incident that happened in our very country it is the worst example of judicial failure it's a case of a man by the name of i may pronounce this wrong there's a northeastern name it's called machal lalung 23 years old was this man when he was arrested he was wrongly framed and he was arrested in the year 1951 on false charges and the court gave him a 10 year term and after he went to uh, went through those 10 years he was sick he was ill in prison and he was sent to a psychiatrist uh, detention center in tezpur and people forgot that he was there and all of a sudden 16 years later the doctor remembered there was a person like that in the detention center and they Uh, examined him once again that, and they figured out that he was well and he was sent back to guwahati court and uh, sorry guwahati prison where he served there for 40 years totally 54 years when he was finally released when he was 77 years old he was arrested when he was 23 he was released when he was 77 years old these two examples that we just illustrated will raise in our minds one question did they really get justice did they really get justice a sluggish judicial system not only encourages those bent on evil but it also encourages good citizens other citizens to think questions like why shouldn't i do the same thing why do i live like a good citizen why can't i also go scot free by doing the very things that the other people were doing and so this raises some very important questions in our minds how do i live in this world where justice is endlessly delayed how do i live in this world where justice is endlessly delayed or better is there anything i need to understand when i see that the wicked are not speedily or instantaneously punished what do i need to understand when i see that the wicked are not immediately punished for their acts now in chapter 8 that we've been studying if you look at the first part of the chapter remember i spoke about it last time in verses 1 through 9 solomon examined the benefits of humility and practical wisdom 
And the preacher began the chapter with a look at authority. He talked about government. He talked about how we relate to government. Do we dissent? If at all we dissent, when do we dissent? But on the whole, he said we must obey the authorities. But then all of a sudden, he comes to the second part of chapter 8. And there are two broad issues that Solomon is addressing here at the end of the chapter. The first issue is the issue of injustice. And the second one is the issue of mystery. Mystery about God and mystery about wisdom. So this morning's passage will give to us two things that you and I need to understand. Two things that you and I need to understand for us to be able to live in a world where justice is always delayed. Two things that you and I need to understand. Two very simple things by which we can live in a world like this where justice is delayed. So please follow along as always as we go step by step. So in verses 10 through 14, you will see that swift judgment deters evil but obscures faith in God. Swift judgment for sure deters evil, but it certainly obscures faith in God, in those who fear God. Instant judgment for sin certainly brings some kind of a reform, but it also diminishes our ability to love God for love's sake. And we only love God or we only fear God for fear of retribution. To explain this, Solomon gives us four observations here, and let's go step by step. Firstly, Solomon says, that there is a lack of temporal judgment of the wicked. There is a lack of temporal judgment of the wicked. Look at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Now notice here, Solomon finds himself at a funeral. And what does he see there? He sees that the wicked people were being honored at their burial. People were praising these wicked people at their burial. And these wicked people were the very ones who in front of their eyes had lived bad lives, wretched lives, evil lives. And he also says that these wicked people, when they were alive, they were also worshipping at the house of God, at temple. But that did not affect their wickedness at all. They were hypocrites going through a form of religion, but also denying its spirit. They lived without any sense, in the language of Ecclesiastes, they lived without any sense that God is in heaven and we are mere creatures on earth. Now, when you look at lives like that, we think that they are ripe for judgment. Judgment must be sitting on their heads. They must be judged by God immediately. But the fact of the matter is, as far as Solomon can see, there will never be a time for such judgment. Judgment never came while they were alive, and now they are dead, and people are praising them, and they'll be forgotten for what they were really uh, like in their lives. The Living Bible paraphrase paraphrases this particular verse this way. It says, listen please, I have seen the wicked buried, and as their friends return from the cemetery, having forgotten all the dead man's evil deeds, those men were praised in the very city where they had committed many crimes. And in the paraphrase language, it says, how odd. How odd. Now, have you seen the experience for yourself? Have you had this kind of an experience that you've seen dead people being praised in the very place where they had committed all these atrocious things? There is a sense of injustice in it, isn't there? Now, here is a wild man who had done all kinds of wicked things, evil things, and at his funeral, he is being praised in the very church where he had committed all these atrocities. That's not fair is what our hearts scream out. 
Now, I, I've heard of a preacher who preached very eloquently at a funeral and talked gloriously and wonderfully and gave a great eulogy about a scoundrel who was lying in the casket. And his widow, who was seated next to his wife, was surprised about it. And she said, son, would you go and make sure it's really your father who's in the casket? There is a lack of temporal judgment. There is a lack of temporal judgment. Justice drags its feet. It happens all the time. And someone commits a heinous crime, and before they are brought to book, it's sometimes months and years before they are even tried. So Solomon says, there is a lack of temporal judgment of the wicked. Second thing that Solomon brings up, second observation. Delayed judgment encourages evil to flourish. Delayed judgment encourages evil to flourish. Look at verse 11. Because a sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Solomon notes the problem of delayed judgment. And the problem is, he says, it encourages evil to flourish. When judgment is delayed, it encourages evil to flourish. The human heart is fully set to do evil, is what he says in his own language. Everywhere, postponed cases, sometimes even lasting for years, are the rule rather than the exception. And that is true even in clear-cut cases. Now, this verse, makes, uh, this verse makes it plain that where a sentence on evil person is not executed speedily, evil becomes rampant. Crimes become rampant. And the wicked hearts of other men suppose that they too can get away by doing evil just like the other people did. Such a society is soon permeated with rampant wickedness. It's inundated with wickedness. When you look at this verse, we get an ugly glimpse into the total depravity of the human heart. If evil is not punished right away, Solomon says, people would not be deterred from doing evil. But if evil is punished right away, then people would be deterred from doing something that is evil or from, or from uh, something that is wicked. But justice is so painfully slow that some people think they can get away even with something like a murder. Because there are no immediate consequences, the individual escalates the bad behavior. Now you could give several examples about this. A man seemingly gets away with adultery and he has no problem with his families or no problem with the society as well. A person takes drugs or LSD and wins a game without any kind of a penalty or punishment later on for his life or for his career. A person engages in an extramarital affair and does not get a venereal disease. This person does something worse and life does not come to a crashing halt. Solomon sees that the problem here is the criminal who does all these things is hanging out with the other good citizens with impunity, without any problem of punishment. And after a lifetime of crime and corruption, he dies, he is buried, and he is praised as well. And that is what Solomon's problem is. And Solomon thinks that it almost seems like it is difficult for a man to live a decent life. Delayed judgment encourages evil to flourish. It encourages evil to flourish. Third observation that Solomon makes. He says, what is observed and what is known about justice are contradictory. Look at verses 12 and 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. 
Now here, Solomon expresses what he knows despite what he sees. Now listen to this very carefully, please. Solomon is expressing what he knows to be true despite what he sees in his experience. This is a classic saying that you would expect to read in the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, the, the reading that you have is that the righteous flourish while the wicked people's days are numbered. Righteous always flourish, they live a long life, while the wicked people's days are numbered. But what you notice here between what is known and what is seen is a total contrast. Who's prospering here? It is the wicked people who are lengthening their lives. But the godly people are the ones who are dying early. But here Solomon says that he knows in the end it will go well for those who fear God. For the moment, they may be in difficulty. They may, it may not presently go well with the righteous, but ultimately it will. And he knows that the wicked will be brought to justice, even though it contrasts what he presently sees in his experience. Now notice here, in this verse, we also learn something that distinguishes the wicked. They say they do not fear God. They do not fear God. Their eyes are directed for life that is under the sun. That is their treasure. They only esteem themselves. They only rely on their own wisdom. And their hope is only in what can be currently experienced, but their hopes end when they end their lives. In contrast, in stark contrast, the eyes of the righteous gaze above the sun. They esteem God because he is in control and he is the only source of true wisdom. They remain loyal to him and even in the midst of injustice and unknowing, because he offers them hope, they always look to him. That's what Solomon says in this verse. But Solomon does not attempt to flesh out this verse any further. He just lets it sit with us. He does not say God will satisfy or relieve you of pain in every way now. Now I find that refreshingly honest in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because this is where we actually live. Don't we live in the midst of frustration? Don't we live in the midst of great pain at times? We do. And he forces you to live in the tension between what you know and what you see in experience. He forces you to live in the tension between what you know to be true and what you see in experience. And that's what I appreciate about the book of Ecclesiastes. It is raw. It is very honest with us. Isn't it sometimes nice to open our Bibles and read the Bibles and find out that the Bible does not give easy answers to our questions? It ought not to, because life is not that simple. And he doesn't answer the questions with any shallow platitudes or truisms, and he doesn't diminish your struggles and my struggles that we face currently. If anything, we see in this past, uh, anything that we see in this passage is just that his emotion and his experience very much resonate with my emotions, your emotions, and your experience as well. But this is not a feeling that is strange to God. Now, when you think about God who's come in the person of Jesus Christ, even though he was fully willing to suffer voluntarily, he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. And then at the end of it, he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, that is real life. Isn't that real life? Now, that is not bumper sticker Christianity. We live in a world full of injustice, a world full of tension, a world full of contradiction. And under the sun, everything has been distressed by the curse of death. It is common to all of us. But in contrast to the common curse of death, 
that is also the reality of life we have the offer of special grace and above the sun we are given hope in Christ Jesus let me illustrate for you and bring this all to uh, an understanding for all of us during the darkest days of apartheid in south africa uh, when the government tried to shut down opposition by cancelling all the meetings of the opposition archbishop desmond tutu declared that he would hold a church service instead and st george's cathedral in uh, cape town south africa was filled with worshippers outside the cathedral hundreds of police uh, men gathered uh, to show a force and tried to intimidate the people the worshippers as well as bishop desmond tutu who was going to preach that day as tutu was preaching they entered the cathedral the police did and they lined up the walls they were all armed they even pulled out their notes to take down notes of what desmond tutu was going to say to intimidate him and make him make a mistake so he could so they could put that in the headlines the next day so he started preaching against the evils of apartheid and that we have all been made in the image of god and we are all equal before god and all of a sudden he turned to the police and he made the statement you're all powerful you're very powerful but you're not gods and i serve a god who cannot be mocked so since you've already lost since you've already lost i invite you to come and join the winning side today and all of a sudden the entire congregation erupted into dancing and joy because of the confidence with which desmond tutu was preaching and their attempts the police attempts at intimidation had failed overcome by the bishop's confidence that one day god is going to win it was just a matter of time god is going to win it was just a matter of time that's exactly what solomon says here there might be a contradiction between what is known and what is seen but the fact of the matter is in the end they all will come together fourthly solomon's observation is that justice is turned upside down look at verse 14 there is vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom that it happens according to the deeds of the righteous i said that this is also vanity now solomon here is taking issue with the widely held view that the wicked perish and come to an early end while people who obey god will prolong their lives and lead long lives and live to a ripe old age solomon says don't believe that life is not like that and life does not work out like that often it happens solomon says that to good people what you might expect to bad people is happening and vice versa as well we don't have to go so far in life for us to understand that this is exactly what happens in this world and often we find ourselves asking why does such a bad thing happen to a person like that who lives such a good life why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people how is it possible that a missionary gets killed while the perpetrator is being protected by somebody else how is it possible that the rich get richer by unfair means while people who are leading integrous lives and lives of integrity are still continuing to be poor to this Solomon says this is senseless and this is all baffling to our human minds. The Living Bible translates this this way. It says providence seems to treat some good men as though they were wicked and some wicked men as though they were good. So we looked at four observations that Solomon made and let me just summarize these for you and bring this point to a close. In this section from verses 10 through 14 
Solomon wrestles with the problem of delayed judgment. He first said that the wicked people at their burial, they were being honored. They were being praised. They hypocritically went through all of these religious motions and rituals in the temple. And even their presence in the temple, their life in the temple did not affect their lives one bit. And all of a sudden, Solomon was troubled about the fact that the righteous were being treated like the wicked. And what was happening to the righteous was the result of what the wicked man should have got. And the other way around as well. And all of a sudden, he comes and agonizes over the problem of delayed justice. The problem of tyranny and the problem of delayed justice. The problem of tyranny and delayed justice remains an agonizing one in our time as well. And we struggle with it as well. But when we look at scripture, judgment will not be delayed indefinitely. Judgment will not be delayed indefinitely. The return of Christ is a time for judgment. When Christ comes back, he will judge the wicked. And the conflict between good and evil will come to an end. Error and sin will be exposed for what they are when he comes back. Nevertheless, in the time between now and the time when Christ comes, delayed judgment will remain an agonizing problem for each one of us seated here. Let me illustrate this with what happened in Rwanda in the year 1994. In the spring and early summer of 1994, out of a population of 7.5 million in Rwanda, 800,000 people were killed, murdered, in about 100 days. That's about 330 people on an average per hour and more than five people being killed every minute. The dead of Rwanda accumulated at least nearly three times more than the dead of the Holocaust, the Jewish dead of the Holocaust. In fact, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it was termed as the most efficient mass killing in humanity. The world stood by this genocide and could not do anything. And adequate justice in the aftermath was not possible, so much so that the perpetrators and the victims were living side by side and sometimes in the same house as well. It is very painful to imagine the experience of the victims who died as well as the victims who survived this genocide in Rwanda. But Solomon reminds us that again and again, both victims and perpetrators will be forgotten. Both of them will be simply forgotten. There is no easy solution to this kind of a problem. But think about this, and listen to me very, very carefully, and this is where Solomon is getting at, at all of these observations that he has made. So listen to this very carefully. If the punishment were to immediately follow the act or the crime or murder, how many glorious manifestations of grace would have been lost in the church? Did you hear what I said? Paul was known as a blasphemer, a persecutor, and he was somebody who was very injurious to the health of the church. And yet, he went on to receive mercy and also became an example of all who would receive mercy later on. If evildoing was always followed by swift punishment or swift retribution, obedience will be obedience only out of fear. There will never be any loving obedience. It would be impossible for God to test our faith in a world like that. And that's why Solomon says that it may obscure, it may obscure 
faith in God. And again, the great reason why sentence against evil work is not executed immediately lies in the very heart of God. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9, For God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but his patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He desires to win people over, and that's why there's a delay of judgment. But you and I seated here this morning ought not to use this delay of judgment as an excuse for not repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 that we are studying right now, as well as what we read in the rest of the Bible, there are only two kinds of people. People who fear God and people who don't fear God. And the Bible is equally clear about what are the destinies of these two groups of people. People who fear God will have a great destiny with God, but people who don't fear God will have a final judgment. And as for the righteous, they will be vindicated by God. Justice is coming, but it's only a matter of time. So in verses 10 through 14, Solomon said uh, that swift judgment deters evil, but obscures faith in God. So by faith we believe that judgment is coming, it's only a matter of time, and all the wicked are going to be judged, and justice will be finally done. But we also still must suffer through the injustice and futility of our present time. How are we going to live now when the righteous are being treated as the wicked and wicked are being treated as the righteous in this present world? Solomon answers his second point in verses 15 through 17, and it's a very simple point. They say, enjoy life that God gives as we cannot fathom his infinite workings. Enjoy life as God gives as we cannot fathom his infinite workings. Solomon explains this by just listing two points for us, and let's go one by one. It's a very simple thing. Oh. Okay, there it is. Firstly, Solomon says, receive each day's joys as God's gifts and enjoy them. Look at verse 15. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Now Solomon has left us with a great tension here. We have a hope in this life and in the life to come. But we must also still go through the injustice and futility of our present life. In the midst of this tension, Solomon provides some beautiful, surprising advice. Now, this is not a great theological or a philosophical advice. Actually, it's quite simple. And when you listen to the advice, you might even say, that's it. Is there nothing more than that? But it is very, very important for us and it's worth considering. Basically, he says, try your best to enjoy life. Whatever you encounter in life, just try and enjoy it. Now, there's nothing wrong in enjoying life as Christians. He is not promoting a hedonistic lifestyle. Instead, he is offering a countercultural sentiment. He wants us to find joy in everyday life. Now, if you remember, when we studied in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, in verses 12 and 13, Solomon said this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. And this is God's gift to man. He sees that the ability to enjoy life is also a gift from God. 
and it is the fear of god that provides the context for this enjoyment it is the fear of god that provides the context for this enjoyment knowing that god is in control of everything under the sun and god gives us what we have the ability to enjoy it and so joy becomes one of the ways in which we experience god himself joy becomes one of the ways in which we experience god himself yes there is vanity under the sun yes the righteous are being treated as though they were wicked and the wicked are being treated as though they were righteous yes we have a lot of hard work to do nevertheless you and i can enjoy life by enjoying the ordinary things that god has given us in our life so we can certainly enjoy a curd rice this afternoon and we ought to enjoy that we can also on the other hand enjoy a mutton biryani as well we can enjoy a good fellowship with a believer you could go and visit somebody's house and just enjoy a good talk enjoy life in the everyday things that god has given us while you have all these things going around delayed justice and all those kinds of big things going around in the world and that is the way to live as a christian is what solomon says here dietrich bonhoeffer once wrote this and listen to this carefully please our life is not only a great deal of trouble and hard work it is also refreshment and joy in god's goodness we labor but god nourishes and sustains us there is a reason to celebrate god is calling us to rejoice to celebrate in the midst of our working day god is calling us to rejoice to celebrate in the uh, in the midst of our working day so we can celebrate in our workaday world as well we can enjoy our work we can enjoy our friendship we can enjoy some good food we can enjoy coffee at fellowship after this particular meeting so enjoy the everyday things of life secondly and lastly solomon says no one can fully understand god's ways look at verses 16 and 17 when i applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth how neither day nor night do once i see sleep then i saw all the work of god that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun however much man, uh, man may toil in seeking he will not find it out even though a wise man claims to know he cannot find it out it is easy to read these two verses and come out with a feeling of pessimism about solomon's position because often he is cynical about things and yes he is cynical here about the pursuit of wisdom he is being cynical here and he is saying that human wisdom does have limitations human wisdom does have limitations we could do phd's in 10 different subjects and yet we must understand that human wisdom does have limitations for two reasons number 1 we have a short life number 2 we only look for wisdom under the sun and it is a limited one and god is above the sun and that's why we really can't understand what god is up to completely we only can understand some aspect of god especially as he has revealed himself in the word but even that we can't completely understand he is above the sun and he is not required to offer us any knowledge that he doesn't want to he is supreme but we can trust him and he is not maliciously oppressive in any way you know the legendary bruce lee um he was once approached by a student and he was asked this question can you give me all the knowledge that you have about martial arts and bruce lee uh, held up two glasses of water and both of them were full and he said one glass represents your knowledge 
and the second glass represents my knowledge about martial arts if i have to transfer all this knowledge to you you will have to end up emptying your own knowledge completely imagine we we have to understand the infinite mind of god that just becomes an impossibility but we must understand this also that the bible never condemns our attempts at understanding life at understanding things about god the pursuit of knowledge is always encouraged in scripture and i love knowledge i love people studying the word and we must have knowledge of the scripture but we must and we must also never adopt the attitude of anti intellectualism that are that is present in certain segments of christianity we must explore our minds we must explore scripture we are to reason and think about what god is doing and also what life gives us according to scripture but we must always remember as solomon says it here that no matter how hard we try to understand we cannot understand life completely we cannot understand god completely as well and so wise men may make excessive claims but they too will be baffled is what solomon is saying here now so much of wisdom that solomon is giving us uh what is the point of the entire message for this morning the whole passage basically says enjoy life and submit to god even though he won't tell us his reasons enjoy life and submit to god even though he won't tell us his reasons the lord isn't obligated to answer all our questions but we should still live with joy and obey god let me finish by telling you my personal comments about the book of ecclesiastes and we've preached through uh, all these eight chapters and there are three more chapters 9 10 sorry four more 9 10 11 this helps us understand what ecclesiastes is all about it is not the kind of book where we keep reading and we come to the end of it and then the mystery is solved that's not what ecclesiastes is instead it is a book in which we keep struggling with the problems of life and we go to god with these questions and these problems of our life not to find answers through the book of ecclesiastes but to at least put those questions in the right perspective and find our confidence in god himself that's what the christian faith is about as well the christian faith is not about what we become at the end of the destiny but also what we become and get transformed into in that journey as well and discipleship is not just a destiny discipleship is a journey thank you so much for your patience uh, may the lord bless you all let's pray